Where do you see your career in 10 years? What are you doing now to help you get there? The sooner you start enhancing your skills, the sooner you'll be ready. That's why AARP has reskilling courses in a variety of categories like marketing and management to help your income live as long as you do. That's right. AARP has a bevy of free skill building courses for you to choose from because the steps that you choose to take today will help you to love what you do in the future. And that's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. In recent weeks, we've really focused on some ways that listeners can boost their income. Uh, so whether that's through starting your own side business and growing your network like Hala talked about, or when we talked with local realtor Alan about diving into investing in real estate, well, what better way to test the waters? While you are away, your home could also earn extra income. That's right. Your empty space could be an Airbnb while you're traveling because that's all you need to become an Airbnb host. It's a lot easier than you think, and you don't need to Airbnb your entire house. You could just host your extra spare room. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Welcome to How to Money. I'm Joel. And I'm Matt. And today, we're talking about how to improve your credit score. Matt, real quick, I wanted to give people a beer tip because oh. we love to talk about beer on the podcast, right? Yeah, we normally wait till the end to talk about the beer, but you want to talk about it now? I do. Let's well, do I, want it. To, I want to do a tip. So this struck me as really important and it's actually really influenced the way I enjoy beers and how good they are because I've done it a different way and they don't taste as good. Okay. So when you buy a six pack or whatever, when you buy a beer, uh, sometimes you have the desire to chill it in the freezer real quick so you can drink it that night or something like that. Yeah. I think it's really important for the beer to avoid bottle shock and uh, bottle shock and just kind of mess with the taste of a beer it is to have it in your fridge overnight to let it chill naturally. Like gradually instead of... Yeah, like gradually. Suddenly. And then pull it out. Another important tip. So let your beer chill overnight gradually. And then when you pull it out, let your beer warm up for 30 minutes before you pop it open. Um, I think... I think the warmer your beer gets, uh, the more flavors are open. So if you're drinking like Coors Light, who cares, yeah, right? Drink it cold. Drink it cold because you don't want those flavors to come out. Tap the Rockies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but if you're drinking a good beer, you want it to warm up a little bit and those natural flavors are going to come out more. And so I was just thinking about it because our beer um, today, and we'll get into it in a minute, is Dogfish Head's Oak Aged Vanilla Worldwide Stout. And I was like, okay, I got to pull this yeah, out of the fridge. we definitely need to warm that up. It needs to warm up because like, I'm going to get those extra oak and vanilla notes if it's warmer. 
That's true, man. I hadn't thought about that. We do that all the time without really thinking about it, but just from having had numerous craft beers in the past decade. Uh, but yeah, be sure to do that, folks. That's that's a good tip. So there you go. Drink your craft beer and drink it better. Make sure it tastes awesome. And also, I just want to say thank you to all the people that have left ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts. Oh, man. All the yeah, glowing reviews. Thank it's, you, guys. It's huge <laughs> for us, man. It's huge for us. And so um, it makes me feel good about myself. <laughs> we're on episode 10 right now. And if you have been listening since the beginning or have just really gotten in the last few episodes and you're into what we're talking about, it's helpful. Uh, I would ask you kindly to please leave us a rating and or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast. It's super helpful and just um, helps other people that love craft beer and money talk find our podcast. Yeah, Joe. So Atlanta United, we are both big fans. Uh, and we were recording this a little bit ahead of time. It's, we haven't had our first match against uh, DC United. Oh, Atlanta United, by the way, it's, a, it's our soccer team, <laughs> right? It's our Atlanta soccer team. I wanted to talk about jerseys, like the expensive jerseys. Yeah. The reason I ask, uh, I want to bring that up is because I, I grew up not not wearing jerseys. It just wasn't part of like my childhood. Uh, I wasn't huge into sports. You didn't even grow up wearing pants, so uh, yeah. I grew up in the in the woods, uh, <laughs> naked. You're one of the woodland people. <laughs> like, is that a boy that lives what, in there? Uh, I can't tell. I only term? see his I only see his eyes every once in a while. The, they're like feral children. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, but dude, jerseys are so expensive, and I was curious because I was thinking about it back when we used to go to the Braves all the time when they're in town. You know, you always had a Atlanta Braves jersey, uh, and you would always rag me for not having any any of like team gear None when we go. But I wasn't going to spend the money on, I mean, close to like a hundred bucks on a on a nice jersey, you know. And this past Christmas, I scored a, a sweet, you know, official jersey, which I'm super stoked about. Uh, so how do you justify that? You know, you've got something you support and love, your team, but then on the other hand, you've got a crazy expensive jersey, and they change too. That's what's so crazy is that every every couple of years, uh, I mean, some some leagues they're even required to to update their jerseys. Yeah. Give me your thoughts. All right. So here's how I approach stuff like buying a jersey. That is something I typically will not buy for myself because of the expense. And I usually ask for something like a jersey or a hat or something like that for a team that I love and follow for Christmas or for my birthday. Okay. <laughs> so that's usually... <laughs> so like I did. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I like put it on the list and, I'm, and I know that I want something like that. So you know, it was my birthday in February and my folks got me one Atlanta United jersey and then I had some birthday money and I decided found a sale and I bought another one. So those are the two that I'll need for hopefully the next like three seasons because I don't mind wearing last year's or two years ago jersey. But um, it is nice to have that to, to support my team and then to have an alternate one in case I like completely sweated that one out or something. True. I feel like I can wear an old jersey as almost like a point of pride being like, yeah, I'm not going to buy that new one. <laughs> And as well, we're not super, super cheap. We're not willing to spend money on something that we really love. All right, let's move on to the beer. We're over at uh, my house tonight recording. and The uh, Palatial Alt Mix Studios. <laughs> We've been over at your place the like, past three. That's true, three, yeah. Three or four episodes. And I actually have really liked it because it's a nice pick-me-up to bike over to your place in the, in the cool night air. But I've been biking a lot lately, so I'm actually glad to not be on the bike today see i like doing it at your house because when i get bored of looking at your face i can uh look at your great dane in the corner there and just smile yeah. yeah she's she's a good dog she's sweet uh but yeah you so you brought over a beer oak aged vanilla worldwide stout 
Yep, from Dogfish Head. From Dogfish Head, and they're freaking awesome. And big thanks to my friend Ryan. Yeah, he he hooked you up. Hooked yeah, us up. he uh, his wife is from Delaware, and so when he goes up there every once in a while, which that's where Dogfish Head is, and he picks up some good beers. And nice. so, man, that is awesome. Super kind of him to uh, to donate these uh, these beers to the podcast. And this one weighs in at a super stout, seventeen and a half percent. Yeah, it's like. So if we start, I'm excited that we each have our own uh, our own 12 ounce beer of this. But I'm also a little worried by the time we get to the end of the podcast. I was gonna say, yeah, have to pace ourselves a little bit. If at the end of the podcast we're slurring our words as we deliver our final thoughts, percent, that is, I mean, that's bigger than a lot of wines, right? I don't drink a ton of wine, but isn't wine like around 15? Yep. 16%? Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, this is so this is beastly. You want to crack these open? Let's crack it. Mm. Gonna be honest, as soon as you crack it. You get like a boozy waft through the air. It just smells like dark, dark beer. And if I were to start a rock and roll band, I'd call it Boozy Waft. <laughs> hey, man, you going to the Boozy Waft show tonight? <laughs> yeah, those guys are awesome. They do all Justin Bieber covers, right? I thought I was the only fan. <laughs> you know them too. So this pours pitch black. Nice caramel brown head. Oh man, it smells sweet too, which makes me very excited. Yeah, it's dark as night, and I just had my first sip. It's lovely. It's lovely. It's oh wow, the oak and the vanilla come through super nicely, and the base stout is just kind of that perfect level. It's not overly viscous, and some of these like bigger stouts, they're like you almost have to chew them because they're so big and burly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's a nice body for for such a big beer. I was expecting it to be a little soupier. Yeah, this one's this one slides down nice and uh, really really beautiful. Yeah, I mean, look at the carbonation for for such a big stout like this. I'm actually surprised at the amount of carbonation I've got coming up. Yeah, sometimes these beers like this pour with almost zero head, like no carbonation, and so uh, you're just like literally feels like um, it it's looks like, like motor oil. Yeah, right? it looks like motor oil, and it kind of has that feel in your mouth too. This one does not. It's got a kind of a nice, lively jump. Dude, I'm really glad you brought this over too because it's been pretty cold lately. We've kind of had a cold streak uh, here late in the spring. And, you know, when it's cold outside, it's nice to have a big kind of warming beer like this because I can already feel it in my belly. Yeah. (laughs) Like a stout. That booze in my belly. I'm not really feeling stouts in July and August. No. (laughs) But when it's, you know, 35 degrees outside, uh, I'm all about it. Stouts and barley wines are two of my favorite winter style beers. Um, and actually, one of our listeners wrote in and he had some questions about barley wines. So if you have questions about you know, beer styles or you just want to talk more about it, uh, feel free to join our Facebook group or email us. Um, but our Facebook group is the perfect place to ask questions and kind of engage on topics related to beer and money. Um, but barley wines and stouts, two of my favorites to drink during the cold months. So thanks to Ryan for donating these beers to the podcast. Dude, it's awesome. Really appreciate it. Uh, and on that note, Matt, let's get into how to improve your credit score. So the credit score, let's first talk about actually what that is, right? Yeah. So uh, it's yeah, it's important to note the definitions and a credit score. It feels like the super secretive thing. And for years and years and years, it kind of was secretive. Yeah. It was really hard to get your credit score. Back before the internet, people didn't know uh, what made up a credit score, right? <laughs> yeah, they didn't know what made it up and they didn't really have access to it. And that's changed over the years. I mean, I even remember 10 years ago, I used to bank 
with a bank called Washington Mutual that is now defunct. Yeah, yeah, I remember them. And they, one of their perks was, we'll give you access to your credit score. And nobody else was doing that. And I was like super pumped because mm-hmm. I'm a nerd and I wanted <laughs> to know about it. Um, and so that was really fun for me. You're like, I want to see my stats. And uh, fortunately, now we live in an age where you have access to it. And we'll um, tell you uh, kind of ha- how that works later on and where to go to get that. Yeah. Um, but essentially, a credit score is a tool that financial institutions use in order to decide whether they should lend you money or not. And typically, it's referred to as, as the FICO score, F-I-C-O. There's three main players that you've heard of. And all those kind of play into... They're all weighted and create your FICO score. But Experian, TransUnion, and Equifax, the uh, latter of which had a huge uh, data breach <laughs> last year and yeah. stunk it up. Dirt bags. Yeah, good job, guys. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Equifax. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the other thing is, too, is there are a lot of different credit scores out there. There's different algorithms. Different companies have their own sort of proprietary scores. They're all roughly the same. They all typically have uh, fall sort of within the range of like 300 or 350 to up to 850. And some go up to 900. Yeah, there's, there's, they're all sort of different, but they all operate around sort of the same principles. And th- that's what we're going to be talking about today. And so, yeah, you might get uh, one credit score from one place and one credit score from another place, and they're going to be a little bit different. And you're like, well, what's going on? Uh, and it's just because these different credit bureaus have their, like Matt said, their own algorithms, and they are essentially weighting things slightly differently. But there are a ton of principles that you can glean in in uh, in order to help you understand how to how your credit score is made up, and therefore how to make your credit score great. So, like we said, your credit score is how financial institutions are going to decide whether to lend you money. So, good credit score means more favorable interest rates. It means Yes, you're going to get that loan. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's why this is important is because this affects how much you're paying in interest uh, based on the rate that the bank or whatever financial institution uh, you're working with is going to give you. Back in old school human society, a credit score was essentially knowing somebody and knowing their trustworthiness. And now because like there's 330 million people in this country, you have to have a score assigned to you because you walk into your local bank and they don't know you know, Matt Altmix pays his bills or not. Uh, and that's why there's this score assigned to you to kind of let them know, oh, well, Matt's paid all these other bills on time and uh, and he's, he seems to have used it well, his credit well. So you know what? He's trustworthy and we can lend to him. Whereas, you know, uh, before in early human days, it's like, yeah, that guy sleeps in really late and he doesn't really contribute <laughs> to the meals at night. Are so you, you're saying back then I would not have gotten a good uh, a good loan, but but maybe today I would. <laughs> exactly, exactly what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Jerk. <laughs> Why do you need a good credit score? Yeah, I mean, so essentially, I mean, just like you're saying, it, it, it establishes basically your financial reputation is maybe the best way to kind of describe it. And it's not to be overlooked. I used to be huge into Dave Ramsey, maybe about 10 years ago. And he used to call the FICO score the I love debt score. Because uh, his whole thing is obvious, you know, everybody knows, get out of debt. That's He's anti debt. That's his whole shtick. And I was all about that. I was like, oh, that's, that's cool. I mean, I had a FICO score because we'd always used, I used credit cards since I was a teenager, but I didn't really care about my score until we started applying for loans to buy a house. And then I realized, oh, I'm glad I've got a pretty good credit score because otherwise that would affect me negatively big time in the kind of loan uh, that, that we could get. And especially as a self-employed person, we don't have regular income. 
And so because of that, banks are super nervous when it comes to lending to someone like me. I've got a very uh, variable income and they do not like that. <laughs> it's very hard to get a loan when you're self-employed. And because of that, having a good credit score is huge. Yeah, it means even more for you than it does for the average person that can kind of rely a little more on their paycheck history. Yes, and they can say, yeah. listen, this is how much I have coming in every month and point to that. And granted, they still need a decent credit score as well. But for you, the credit score means even more. Yeah, when they're employed by GE, you know, the bank's like, okay, it, it'll be cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, you you have normal employment and steady employment for uh, an employer that is going to be around for a while, and that, that helps a lot. But like you alluded to as well, Matt, it, this credit score has actually spidered its way into almost every element of life. So essentially, your credit score will affect your uh, loan rate. So you apply for a mortgage, a car loan, mm -hmm. anything like that, a credit card, your, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, your rate, that makes sense. It's going to affect that. You, you know, if you have a, a credit score of 780, you're going to essentially probably get the best mortgage rate possible, which might be, let's say, 4%. And someone with a much lower credit score, 620, might essentially be paying 4.75, like a huge yeah, gap. Like could have half a point or a full point on top of a prime. Which could cost you $25,000 over the life of a loan over 30 years. So that's yeah, easily. That's a huge factor, right? So you want to make sure that your credit score is buttoned up for things like that. Uh, also, renting a home. So if you haven't bought a home, if you're not interested in buying a home and you're a renter, your prospective landlord is probably, likely, should be checking your credit. Uh, as we talked about in our, uh, our uh, investment property episode. Investment yeah. property <laughs> basics. We touched on it then. Uh, and even now, though, would you consider renting, though, to, to renters that have kind of low or like a bad with, with bad credit? Yeah, I totally would. If they check out in some of the other ways that I do tenant screening, and eventually we'll do a whole podcast on tenant screening because that's what I, I want to do. That's a big thing, too. Yes. <laughs> uh, but yeah, essentially, I would. But they'd have to meet some other parameters and probably provide a bigger security deposit so that yep. you know I'm insured, essentially, in that way. Exactly. Uh, and so, yeah, just be ready for that. If you're running a home, if you have a low credit score, uh, you might essentially be paying a larger security deposit. And some landlords might turn you away altogether just because you have a bad credit score rating. Yeah. And, and then I saw, too, how different companies and even employers are taking your credit score into account when it comes to like getting a job, man. I didn't actually even realize this until recently. Uh, but employers are literally checking your credit score when they're I mean, when in the hiring process, which seems really weird. In some jobs, it makes sense. Like if you are handling a lot of money or could be, I guess, essentially the way it started off was certain employers said, you know what? This person needs to have good credit and good financial standing because they could be subject to blackmail and they're handling company funds. They might be forced into using company funds to cover up for some of their financial indiscretions. And so that was why it started. But it's really breached out into other areas of hiring and people are having to give their credit scores for jobs that really they shouldn't have to be giving their, yeah, letting their employer yeah. know their credit score for. Yeah, to me, that just seems really weird. I totally get it. I guess in some financial institutions, uh, you know, if you're like working for a major stockbroker or something like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But what does a credit score have anything to do with, say, like, like a doctor <laughs> or like a hospital hiring a doctor or a lot of positions where money just really isn't that important when it comes to how well they can do their job? Honestly, a big reason that they were maybe even able to get that job, they had to, say, finance uh, their student loans and you know things like that. And maybe they're a little bit behind and they're not doing the, the different programs that are offered out there. 
Yeah, I think it should be out of bounds. It's kind of weird for for most employers, and and obviously for some employers in some positions, that should be waived. But I, yeah, I agree with you. I think it's it's kind of messed up that it, it's that much a part of the hiring process more and more. And another way that we think is kind of messed up that uh, your credit score is used is in setting your insurance rates, and so your insurance premiums are going to be based sometimes in large part really? based on your credit score. Are we talking like health insurance, life insurance, car insurance? Car insurance and home insurance. Mostly. Especially, okay. yeah. And so so some studies have shown that someone with a great credit score and a DUI on their record will get a better insurance rate than someone with really poor credit, but no DUI, no bad driving record. And that's for car insurance. That's for car insurance. Yeah, that's... <laughs> Seems so backwards, dude. Yeah. Oh, man. So that's how far the credit score has gone into our society. It means so much and it goes everywhere. It affects, you know, whether you can get a job and your insurance premiums. And that's crazy. Whether you can rent a home and how much you're going to pay on your mortgage if you buy a home. And so it's so far reaching that that's the importance behind having a good credit score. Yeah, I mean, like it, like it or not, basically, it's becoming something that you need to pay attention to. Even if, say, you buy homes in cash and you're just kind of flush, it's something that you need to consider because it does affect a lot of aspects of your life. Yeah. If you are like Richard Branson Rich, you probably don't need to worry about your credit score, but otherwise, you need to know. And one last thing, <laughs> randomly, I read this story recently that having bad credit can actually hurt you when it comes to dating. So Matt, we don't have to worry about this because we're married, but if you're out there and you're still uh, flipping through Tinder trying to find a significant other, or is there a field like on Tinder where you like you like enter your in, enter in your age and then after that like your credit score? I don't, I don't know. I'm happily <laughs> married, so I haven't been on Tinder yet, but uh, you know I don't think so. But it, it was interesting that most people said because again, you know we 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 talked about how it's kind of this indicating factor the credit score uh, mm-hmm. of your trustworthiness, and so people it, when they're dating someone else. Huh. They were asked the question, you know, would you date someone with an awful credit score? And most people were like, no way. And essentially saying that I don't really trust people that have a terribly low credit score. Right. It's so crazy. (laughs) Yeah. What it's saying is that in the same way that businesses and insurance companies are sort of screening people, I mean, I guess uh, folks that are out in the the dating pool are doing the same thing. (laughs) And that's interesting. I mean, looking back. It's weird to that long, long time ago, you know, when we were dating people, I, if someone had come up to me and, you know, introduced themselves and they seem really nice or whatever, but they were like, my credit score is 500. I probably would have been like, okay, you know, it would have oh, been, yeah, you're a total nerd. So you were nerd too. Yeah. <laughs> but I didn't assume most you knew people what that was back then. Whereas I feel like I, I had an idea of what makes up your credit score and like what it means. But in general, I feel like a lot more has kind of come out recently about your credit score and what, and what it means for you uh, than it did back then. Yeah, for sure. Like like we said at the beginning, I mean, I think it, in the last 10 years, a lot has changed when it comes to credit scores. There's a lot more transparency and we're, we have easy access to our scores. The world has changed a lot in the last 10 years, Joel. Apparently. <laughs> I was cryogenically frozen, so <laughs> I missed some of it. You and Harrison Ford. Exactly. So yeah, if you are in the dating world, uh, pick up your credit score so you can pick up more of the opposite gender. (laughs) Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. 
So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. They are committed to high ethical standards and even had to pass a rigorous exam before they could become a CFP professional. They offer financial planning and services that take a more comprehensive view of your financial and personal circumstances and are customized for your needs. Certified financial planner professionals can offer advice on a wide range of issues like reviewing your investment portfolio's allocation, handling an inheritance, rolling over a company retirement plan, building education savings, and so much more. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. I'm guessing that a lot of listeners are starting to solidify their summer travel plans. We always like to get the families together, Matt, for a week at the beach every single summer. We've already got that trip to St. Simons on the calendar. Pumped for that. But sometimes those vacations get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? That's right. Why let it sit empty when it could be earning extra income? It's the financially smart thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you've got some extra space in your home, or maybe you have an entire house to host. Or maybe you're just going on vacation and your home is sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you have two options. You can let it just sit there empty, or you do some optimizing and make some money off it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. And now a word from the show's sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment is the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal. Rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words, your money is breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. Let's say you've been listening to the podcast and now you're finally ready to start implementing some of the uh, the financial morsels that we're dishing up. Maybe you are trying to save up some more money for a down payment on a house, or maybe there's a big vacation that you have been dying to take. Well, the money app Monarch, they make it so easy to help you to reach your financial goals. That's why the Wall Street Journal, they named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, collaborate with your partner even. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. And you won't get spammed either. Monarch features ad-free privacy you can trust. They will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. That's right, man. And after trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. It just makes sense. It works. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash howtomoney. For your extended 30-day free trial, go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney for an extended 30-day free trial. So next, we're going to talk about basically how to improve your credit score, how to get a higher credit score, uh, what you can steps you can take that can improve that. And by doing that, we're going to be explaining the makeup of what, it, what, you know, what goes into a credit score. So we're going to talk about the, 
things that the different companies take into account when they're creating your credit score. And we're also going to talk about how to improve those things. Yep. And the number one thing, and it's weighted averages, essentially, that they that they factor in. So the number one thing that credit scoring companies are looking at is your payment history. Yeah. Of course. Duh, right? So what that means is that if you have payments on a credit card or a car loan or student loans even as well, uh, you need to be paying on time or early. That's how you're going to keep these different companies happy. Uh, and that's how you're going to make sure your payment history is is in the clear. And this becomes especially bad if you're, you know, a few days late, it's not that big of a deal or even 30 days late, it might be a small ding. But if you get to 90 days late and get um, essentially delinquent on a credit card payment or on a, a bill payment, uh, that can That's really bad. That can really hurt yeah. your credit in a big way. And if you have a few of those on there, that can stay on your credit score for seven years and can oh, yeah. really put a hurting on you. Yeah, you start getting out to 90 days, out to 180 days, six months, and different companies will start. It's just, I mean, they call it a charge off. And basically, they consider your debt or your, you know, your payment uncollectible because they're like, well, they haven't paid. They're probably not going to pay. And that really, really negatively affects your, your credit score. And, and like we said earlier, your payment history, paying on time or paying early, makes up 35% of your credit score. So that is hugely important. And Matt, essentially the time frame that you need to know that could impact your credit score is the 30-day mark and the 90-day mark. And while some institutions that you have credit through won't report anything until it hits 60 days late, be cognizant that most will at 30 days ding a mark on your credit score. It could drop your score by 110 points, that one mark. And so uh, if you're 30 days late, that could be a big problem. Let's say you're shopping for a house or a car and you're just about to get a loan and your your credit score drops 110 points. That could severely impact, first, whether you can even get the loan and second, the rate you're going to pay. Yeah, you may not even qualify for that at all. Yeah, so your payment history is huge. It's the number one factor. Uh, 30 days late is really important to avoid. And 90 days late is the most important to avoid. And like we said, that can stay on your credit report for up to seven years. So it can hurt you for a long, long time. The further it gets away from being marked up on your credit report. Like a few few years later? Yeah, the better you are. It'll lessen. The sting will lessen. Kind of fade. Yeah, but it will be there and people will see it and it will continue to hurt the actual score. And so you want to make sure you're paying your bills and your debts on time. So the next piece of the pie, the uh, next biggest factor that goes into your credit score is the amount you owe or like most oftentimes too is referred to as your utilization rate. So this is where your limits come into play. Mm -hmm. Let's say you have a credit card with a $5,000 limit and you are using $4,000 of that limit every month. You're charging $4,000 even if you pay it off every, every month, month yeah. in full. You're still getting dinged because you're using a high level of your available credit. So if you have a $5,000 limit on your card and you are using $500 every month and paying it off in full. Yeah, that's more like it. That is going to be the sweet spot and significantly help your credit score because you're only utilizing a small amount of your available credit. And this credit utilization factor is a full 30% of what influences your credit score. So combine the credit utilization with your payment history, that makes up almost two thirds of your score. So these are the biggest two factors that play into having a high credit score. You know, you touched on some of the percentages there, but some other percentages too is that, like you said, 500 for 5,000. You said that because that gets us to 10%. 
which is the magical number. Yeah, that's that's kind of a key a key uh, percentage right there. A lot of folks will say thirty percent, and that's definitely great. That's that's safe. Being below thirty is like yeah. getting a B on a paper. Yeah, being at ten percent or below but, is like getting an A plus. Yeah, different experts are now saying that essentially the lower you can get it, the better. Because creditors, they want to see that, like, yes, you qualify for that loan or that credit card, but you're not really using it because you don't really need it. <laughs> yeah. You're fancy. And essentially, the, it seems that the lower you can, you can get it, uh, the better. There are no, like, sort of hard, fast rules because, all, again, all these different companies have different formulas and sort of different algorithms that, that go into creating your credit score. But that is pretty clear that the lower you can keep your credit utilization rate, the better. Yeah, and they're kind of secretive sometimes about exactly what comprises uh, some of the specifics on these, right? So that FICO is not coming out and saying, and Experian is not coming out and saying, this is exactly the percentage you should yeah. stay under to have the maximum score. So some of these things are uh, people know from kind of experience and looking at their own scores and, and studies that have been done about credit scores and some of the things that the actual credit bureaus have put out themselves as well. We have a really good understanding, but we don't have a perfect understanding that we can say these are the hard and fast rules. But from what we've experienced and seen and read, oh, yeah. under 10% credit utilization is going to be the sweet spot for you. So a tip then uh, as a way to be able to keep your, your utilization rate lower is check in with your credit card and see if you can up your limit. If you kind of find yourself consistently you know, pushing that 10 and even, even more so that 30%, see if you can increase your limit. I mean, essentially, you're utilizing less of the credit that you're allowed to use. And I will say that works a lot of time if you're handling your credit well. But sometimes if you reach out to your credit card company and ask for a higher limit while showing that you haven't handled credit very well in the past, they might get a little worried. Yeah, it won't, it won't look as good. Yeah. <laughs> it, so, it will affect your credit temporarily. It's weird because you need to be able to do those things in order to increase your limit. But at the same time, every time you do that, it affects your credit score negatively. I like to think of it almost as like you're opening the fridge or like the freezer. It's like you got to open it and see what's in there. It's sort of like when you're kind of checking your credit score. And it's going to kind of lower the temperature a little bit every time you do that. But like that's what's necessary to get what you need out of the fridge. Yeah. Um, and that's, then a, that's a good way to put it. And then long term, you'll be able to kind of build from there. Yeah. So if you're handling your credit pretty well, it's more than reasonable to reach out to one of your credit card companies and say, hey, I was just wondering if I could get a $5,000 limit increase. And if they grant that to you, that will definitely help your utilization rate. Just make sure that once you get that increase in limit, that doesn't increase your spending. Yeah, Joe. So those are the first two factors that go into the makeup of your credit score. What's the next one? The age of credit and the length of your credit history. So this makes up 15% of your credit score. And essentially, your creditors and the financial institutions, they want to see that you've had a long history of paying your bills. <laughs> so you 80-year-olds out there, you better be crushing it on this, okay? They're swole on their uh, history. Yeah, they are. <laughs> and on their shuffleboard. Yeah. So I mean, this one is it's pretty simple, essentially. The longer you've had accounts open where you've paid uh, on time and kind of kept up with it, the better it's going to look. Um, when's when's the first time you got a credit card? Do you remember when you when your first credit card was? Gosh, I want to say it was almost towards the end of college. Okay, so, which was probably good for me. I didn't know a whole lot about money. I, I knew I was cheap, but I didn't really know how to handle money at that point. And so, if I'd gotten a credit card, I, I don't think I would have bought crazy stuff. But I wouldn't have known how to utilize credit well at the age of like eighteen or nineteen. Yeah, I was twenty because when I look at 
and we'll talk about later how you can kind of look at some of the details about your credit and some great resources to use. But when I look at one of those resources, Credit Karma, it essentially tells me how long my credit history is and it's 14 nice. years. So I was 20 years old when I got my first credit card. Nice, man. Yeah, I, I remember getting mine in, I think I had just got my driver's license. But there's there's rules now uh, as far as what credit cards and what different companies are able to offer teenagers. Do you know what those laws are? Because I don't. Yeah, you're not able to offer people under the age of 18 okay, that's what, yeah. credit cards anymore. And so the sweet spot for you to get a, get a credit card to sign up. And you know, if we have people listening who are aged 18 to 22 and are in college, that's a time to get credit and use it wisely. Start using it wisely. Because once you get out of college, if you don't have any credit history... It's tough. It's tough yeah. to get a credit card and it's tough to get started. They're really willing to offer you credit if you're in college as a student uh, or if you're, ju- you're just in that general age range, it's easier. But once you get out of that, it's, it becomes a lot harder to get credit and establish credit. So you're going to want to make sure you start it then. Yeah. They, they say, oh, you're 23 or 24. I see you have a job. How come you've never had a credit card? And it's sort of like this sort of catch 22 thing where you need to have credit to get credit but you should have a job before you start racking up credit card debt. So if you're in college and you get a credit card, really like buy your gas with the credit card or something and pay that off every month. But don't, don't start willy-nilly using it all over the place. Yeah, be smart. And one other really important thing to mention about the age of credit length of credit history factor is people ask the question all the time, like, should I close this credit card? And the answer is almost always no. Because this is an important part of your credit score. And if you close that card, it is essentially you are hurting first your credit utilization rate, mm-hmm. right? It basically brings down the total amount of credit that you have been offered. Right. So just increasing your, basically increasing your credit utilization rate. Yeah. And it also then, uh, if you've had that credit card for a number of years, it takes away from that that's been building too, yeah, that's history. been adding to your length of history. So, uh, just put it in a drawer somewhere or use it once a year to kind of keep it mildly active, but don't get rid of it altogether because if you do that, you're going to actually hurt your credit score. Unless you have a credit card that has an annual fee. So if you've got a like a $95 annual fee on a card that's just sitting around and you're not using it, please don't keep that around. Yeah. It'll, it'll definitely ding your credit uh, to, to close it, but don't be so afraid to close an account uh, that you're going to keep this card sitting around that you're not using, that you're paying every year on because they've got a stupid annual fee. Uh, just because you don't want to hurt your credit. Yeah, let's it'll say, ding it a little bit, but it'll recover. It'll be fine. Yeah, and let's say you're uh, not shopping for a car or mortgage in the next six months. Yes. Uh, then you can close a card, like with an annual fee. That's when you can do it. If you're in the middle of shopping for something, don't make any changes to your yeah, credit. No big changes. <laughs> no big changes. But if you don't have anything that you're shopping for, go ahead, close that card with the annual fee, save the $95 a year, you might, you know, drop 20, 30 points in your credit score, but that will recover over the next quick. six months and be back close to normal. So then the next one, man, is the type of credit that you have or like the, basically your, your credit mix. Um, and so what we mean by that is that creditors want to see that you have a, a nice sort of portfolio, <laughs> essentially, of, of credit that you've been offered. Creditors want to see that you've got like, you know, like a mortgage, a car loan, credit cards, student loans, like all these different kinds of credit that you can apply for. And it's just, I I know explaining this and thinking through it, it is super weird. They're saying, have all this credit available to you, but don't use very much of it. Have a home equity line and a mortgage and a credit card and blah, 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 blah. But use like an incredibly infinitesimal amount of that credit that is available to you. It's super weird. 
But this is the way the credit scoring yeah, system it's, works. It's how it's made up. And you got to play the game because you want to really get the, is like a game, isn't it? It's like a game. <laughs> it's like a game. And you want the lowest rates. And so you got to play this game uh, to get it right so that you're saving the most money. Yeah. And that being said, this only makes up 10% of your score. So don't get a car loan just because you're thinking like, oh, I want to get my credit score up. I want to get my credit score. I'm going to buy this $30,000 car and get a loan. <laughs> yeah. Please do not do that. This is only 10%. So we're kind of getting down to the bottom of the list now where these things aren't you know, having nearly as much of an effect on your credit score. It still has an impact, but you know, nothing close to like your payment history or your utilization rate. But if you do find find yourself having you know very few lines of credit you know what consider opening up another credit card or two that don't have an annual fee so that you know you're not going to be angry every year when you get that bill in the mail uh and take out those credit lines and just you know barely use them and pay them off Uh, and so having those extra lines of credit can help this 10 percent factor and then over time can actually go to helping your length of credit history as well so it can kind of have this like double whammy effect or triple whammy essentially because it's helping your credit utilization at the same time all right matt and the last factor we're getting to the bottom here is hard inquiries for new credit account for 10 percent of that piece of the pie when it comes to your credit score yeah basically what we mean by that is shopping for new credit so whether that means uh trying to get a loan uh new car loans say maybe a, a home equity loan uh, maybe that means kind of applying for a new credit card. These are all hard inquiries on your credit. And what we mean by that is an example of a soft inquiry is you checking your credit score. Um, that's something that will not affect your credit score long term. And, uh, and and you can do that. That's fine. However, applying for new credit is 100% a hard inquiry. And that'll drop your credit temporarily. It's not like a, a huge thing. Again, we're towards the bottom of the list here, and this is only 10%. But keep that in mind. You don't want to just kind of constantly shop for new credit cards. That being said, uh, in the past, <laughs> I was looking uh, before preparing for this podcast, and I've got seven hard inquiries on my... <laughs> what you shopping for, man? So if you guys don't already know this, I'm a super nerd. And what that means is that I'm constantly working the credit cards, uh, the sign-up bonuses, and there's some sick bonuses out yeah, there and you just took oh advantage of a really great one. We're, we're going to do an entire episode, I think, on uh, on working the credit card system, I think. But I'm a big fan of doing that. Essentially, every three months, I try to get a new credit card with like anywhere between a three to $800 sign up bonus uh, as long as you spend a certain amount within you know, typically three months. So that's why <laughs> that's why I've got a solid seven hard inquiries, which is it kind of surprised me when I saw it. But every one of those, I was like, oh, yeah, that's me. Well, yeah, the last one you signed up for was an eight hundred dollar bonus. Yeah, yeah, that was a uh, that was a business card which I was able to open through uh, my photography company. But I mean, I used it for for photography expenses, and man, I got I got that eight hundred dollars. <laughs> yeah, so essentially, watch out when you're applying for credit. Just make sure you're not applying for credit all over the place. But one caveat is that if you're applying for a mortgage or car loan. Usually, if you're applying within a two-week period for mortgages and you're you know, essentially shopping with a few different lenders, mm-hmm. and same thing if you're buying a car, you're shopping with a few different lenders, your credit union, a bank, trying to get a loan. If it's within that two-week period, they will count it as one hard inquiry. So don't be worried about that. Make sure you're shopping around for your mortgage or car loans yeah, that's to get way the best more, rate. Yeah, that's way more important than you know feeling like you're, oh, I'm going to ding my credit. Like, who cares? <laughs> your credit will recover. It's like constantly, as long as you're as long as you're paying, you know, paying it off, like doing the, the big things, it will recover. 
And what's more important, way more important, I think, is, is shopping around and making sure you're getting a competitive rate, finding a lender that's not going to really hit you with a ton of ridiculous closing costs. Yeah. So shop hard, shop around, uh, but but do it inside of two weeks so that you can limit that exposure to your credit score. Yeah. So those are the, essentially, those are the five biggest things that weigh into your credit score, right? Yep. So I'll run them down real quick. Payment history, your credit utilization, your age of credit, length of credit history, types of credit in your credit mix, and hard inquiries for new credit. And we will uh, essentially put that pie chart in the show notes on our website. Yeah, those are all good things to keep in mind. Yeah, so you can check it out. Uh, it's really, really helpful just to kind of visualize it and think through it when you're considering your credit score and how to make it better. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. They are committed to high ethical standards and even had to pass a rigorous exam before they could become a CFP professional. They offer financial planning and services that take a more comprehensive view of your financial and personal circumstances and are customized for your needs. Certified financial planner professionals can offer advice on a wide range of issues like reviewing your investment portfolio's allocation, handling an inheritance, rolling over a company retirement plan, building education savings, and so much more. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. I'm guessing that a lot of listeners are starting to solidify their summer travel plans. We always like to get the families together, Matt, for a week yeah, at the we beach do. every single summer. We've already got that trip to St. Simons on the calendar. Pumped for that. But sometimes those vacations get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? That's right. Why let it sit empty when it could be earning extra income? It's the financially smart thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you've got some extra space in your home, or maybe you have an entire house to host. Or maybe you're just going on vacation and your home is sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you have two options. You can let it just sit there empty, or you do some optimizing and make some money off it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Let's say you've been listening to the podcast and now you're finally ready to start implementing some of the uh, the financial morsels that we're dishing up. Maybe you are trying to save up some more money for a down payment on a house, or maybe there's a big vacation that you have been dying to take. Well, the money app Monarch, they make it so easy to help you to reach your financial goals. That's why the Wall Street Journal, they named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, collaborate with your partner even. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. And you won't get spammed either. Monarch features ad-free privacy you can trust. They will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. That's right, man. And after trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. It just makes sense. It works. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash howtomoney. For your extended 30-day free trial, go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney for an extended 30-day free trial. Spring cleaning is kind of a, an annual rite of passage. We've all got to do it, minimize the junk that we have in our house. Emily and I, we just cleaned our closets out. It took hours, 
but it was so worth it. Now we've only got stuff in there that we love, and it's easier to find everything too. And so, you know, while cleaning your closets is helpful, well, there's something else you can do for your family this spring. Shopping for life insurance with Policy Genius, for example, is a really important part of your financial planning for the year. That's right. Yeah. And here is the thing that's important to remember because you might be thinking you don't need to check out Policy Genius because you've got a policy through work. But even if you have a life insurance policy through your job, it may not offer you enough protection for your family's needs and it may not follow you if you leave your job. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Policy Genius works for you, not the insurance companies, and that means they don't have an incentive to recommend one insurer over another, so you can trust their guidance. Save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. So we're talking about what makes up, you know, your credit score. Let's actually talk about how you can find uh, your your credit score. Sure. Uh, so yeah, there's a couple websites that I prefer to use and that I think are really the best out there for. Mm-hmm keeping track of your credit score for tools that can kind of help you kind of stay on top of it. Um, my favorite uh, is Discover's tool. Discover, oh. who is a credit card company. That's my favorite. Yeah. I thought you were going to say one of the other ones. It's awesome, man. I, lo- <laughs> I just love that one because it's really simple. It's called creditscorecard.com. Yeah. You know, a lot of the other credit cards are doing it now too, like Amex and uh, Capital One. Yeah. So essentially... They're all it, doing it now. Almost. Yeah. Like I said, 10 years ago, Washington Mutual, it was like this like Lone Ranger giving people their credit scores. And now you can get your credit score from almost any credit card that you have. Mm-hmm. Um, I just like, you know, I'm really weird about how things look and I, I, the simplicity of things and, and Discover's website makes it really easy to find out exactly what I want to know. You, you like the line graph where it kind of like tracks it across? I like that. Yeah. And I just <laughs> I just like the simplicity of not being like marauded by pop-ups and oh, stuff like yeah. that. And so just... Nice and clean. You know what? I put in my information and I see my credit score and I move on. There's a lot of websites out there too that, that'll say that they'll give you your credit score for free. Two that are legitimately free are... Credit Sesame and Credit Karma. Yeah, those are great. And you've used those. I actually have personally have not used those myself. Yeah, they're both fantastic Credit, sites Credit and Karma. they're free. Yeah. And essentially they work kind of like Mint does if you use Mint as a budgeting or tracking tool for your money. Uh, and they're you know occasionally trying to sell you a credit card or trying to um, get you to refinance your loan into something with you know one of their advertisers. But they will give you access to your credit score from two of the bureaus and... They give you a really good idea of the categories in which you're doing well in when it comes to credit and the mm-hmm. categories which you're doing poorly. So they'll, they might tell you, for instance, hey, you know what? Credit card utilization, you're kind of a, a yellow on this like green, yellow, red mm-hmm. scale. And when it comes to hard inquiries, you're red right now. So they kind of help you understand. Yeah, they break it down to, to how it's weighted, which is yeah, really nice. Yeah. So these weights that we just told you about, you know, they're actually kind of telling you, here's exactly where you fall under those weights and kind of how you can attack fixing them. Yeah. So in the uh, show notes, we'll we'll put some links on there as well to some of the websites. There's a lot of, and I say that earlier too, some, a lot of the websites, they'll give you like a free trial and if you don't cancel it, you'll start getting charged. And so we'll put the links on there for some of the actual free websites where you can get your credit score and keep up with it. Yeah. So now let's get to uh, a question that a listener posted uh, in our Facebook group. He wrote it all out, and I'm just going to paraphrase it. Essentially, though, what he was saying is that they had some uh, long-term, kind of long-standing credit card debt, and he opened up uh, two or actually three new credit cards that had a 0% interest for like 
one to two years. And so they were paying off their old credit card with those. And he was wondering why his, their, essentially their credit got dropped uh, pretty significantly uh, when, when they did that. And this is where he's confused is because he was thinking, well, we increased the amount of credit that you know is offered to us. So therefore our utilization rate hasn't changed. But what he also said was that those new cards, he maxed them out. And I think that's where the problem lies. Yeah, so uh, something we didn't necessarily tackle earlier on when we talked about credit utilization, there's always been this debate about whether it is overall utilization. So let's say you have five credit cards. Is it 10% of your overall credit cards or is it 10% of each credit card? So let's say you've got $5,000 on a $5,000 card and nothing on the rest. Well, that $5,000 that you have out against that $5,000 card is actually going to ding your credit in a pretty big way. Yeah, it's going to negatively affect your utilization rate. It, it would be so much better if you had $1,000 out against all five credit cards. So $5,000 spread out evenly against all the cards. Yeah. Yeah. And again, this is something that's kind of, it's, it's, it's just kind of fuzzy, right? Like it's something that's kind of constantly changing. I don't think this used to be the case, but a lot of the experts now are saying that it's not sort of this aggregate amount of credit that you're offered and you need to stay overall underneath 30% and even, you know, 10% is even better. It seems now that uh, what the experts are saying is that we're looking at per card. And so try not to exceed 10%, but definitely, you know, no more than 30% per card. So if you're maxing out a card, even though your total credit utilization hasn't changed, that's going to hurt your score. Yeah. And I will say, uh, I actually kind of experienced this recently. I um, had to buy some things for work and get them reimbursed. And so on this card that I have a $20,000 limit on, I normally charge, you know, probably like $2,000 a month and so right at 10%. Yeah. So right at 10%. And then, uh, so, but I, I actually had to up it to like almost, I think probably just over six grand in a recent month. And my credit score dropped probably like 10 to 13 points, something like that. And so I kind of saw that firsthand. It wasn't even like massive, right? I wasn't using, you know, $19,000 out of the 20, but even just bumping it up, the credit score yeah. just adjusted a little bit just based on that. And I was kind of surprised. Um, so yeah, those individual credit cards and your credit utilization on each card matters and you need to pay attention to that. Yeah, and Reed, we also touched on this earlier too, but every time you have a new inquiry for new credit, basically, so when you every time you apply for a new credit card, that's a hard inquiry. And that, again, makes up 10% of your total credit score. So every time you opened up one of those, your credit, your credit score dropped. And that's something, and with those being hard inquiries, that's something that's going to take, I mean, a while for that to rebound. I mean, probably talking six months to a year of, you know, paying again early or on time uh, before you're going to kind of see that creep back up to where you were before. Yeah, unfortunately, the hard inquiries are only 10% of your credit mix and they only have the most lasting impact for the first six months to a year. And so um, that won't last forever. And if you can essentially kind of start to spread that money out on your of your credit card debt between other cards as opposed to maxing out two of them, um, that'll really dramatically impact the health of your credit score. So consider those two things. And Reed, thanks for the question. All right, Matt, back to the beer. Dogfish head, oak aged, vanilla worldwide, stout. I am loving this, man. This is completely in my wheelhouse. I'm it's... loving it. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, Jill's feeling that uh, 17.5%. <laughs> so, the reason I like it is that it's a big beer. It's 17.5%, but it doesn't drink heavy and thick. As I'm drinking it, it, it feels pretty light. 
and delicious. It's definitely sweet and kind of has like that caramelly, like molasses uh, for sure. It, it just tastes really roasted, dark molasses. Oh, just all the good things that I like. But uh, it doesn't it doesn't sit heavy. I'm I'm not feeling you know all full up with it. So yeah, sometimes I avoid vanilla beers because van- oh yeah, vanilla can be just such like an overwhelming component no, of a beer. It's totally chill on this. It's perfectly chill i love it it's got like just the nice vanilla notes and i'll say too i really like the balance of how sweet it is like it's it's somewhat sweet with like a nice booziness so like what you said at the very beginning of the podcast was that it kind of warms you up inside and it's totally doing that right it's got that booziness quality that like warms your innards and it's pretty awesome yeah even though it's march i'll still call this a winter warmer and uh, enjoy it. This is like the perfect beer for tonight, man. It's 30 degrees outside right now and I'm happy to be drinking this. No doubt. So thanks again to Ryan for the beer and thanks buddy to dogfish head for taking all the time to make a beer. This awesome. Yeah. Dogfish head, man, they've been around forever. They have. Yeah. They're one of like the old school craft craft beer guys, not like Sam Adams old school, but like, you know, a couple years after, (laughs) after Sam Adams, uh, dogfish has been around they're like one of the, one of the first names I feel like I remember seeing out there. They're one of my favorite of the nationwide American craft breweries because uh, man, like they make some awesome beers, and I could nerd out right now and go off for like ten minutes telling you all the beers I love from but, Dogfish Head, but, but we're I not going to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we got to wrap up. All right. So essentially, the takeaways you need to know on how to improve your credit score are. First, you need to know what a credit score is, and it's the tool that financial institutions use to decide whether or not to lend you money. More and more, it's becoming important. So make sure you're kind of paying attention to this. You hear it all the time. Uh, it's time for you to, to look yours up. Why you need good credit. It influences the rates you're going to pay on mortgages, car loans, credit cards. It influences whether or not you'll be able to rent a home and possibly whether you'll be able to get a job. So the steps uh, you can take to improve your credit score, there's five main factors, uh, five things that kind of weigh into your credit score. The first and largest one being your payment history. Make sure you're paying on time or early. Uh, That's going to have the biggest impact, 35% on the makeup of your credit score. Your credit utilization, it makes up 30% of your score. And make sure that each card you're charging less than 30% of the overall available credit every month. And you know what? If you can do even better than that, it's going to help your score even more. The next thing is the length of your credit history. Especially if you're younger, you're in college and you don't have a credit card, go ahead and do that now. Know yourself so that you're not going to get yourself into a bunch of credit card debt. But go ahead and get that card. Like Joel said earlier, maybe just start putting your gas on there so you don't have to walk inside of the gas station. Just make that happen at the pump and pay it off every month. Start building up that financial reputation and that's gonna you're going to thank yourself down the road. And if you're 70 years old, do not close the credit card you opened up when you were 20 because that's helping you, right? So uh, also the types of credit that you're using makes up 10% of your credit score. Make sure you have a wide variety of different credit available to you. Make sure to use it wisely, but have that variety available. And then lastly, again, uh, this is one of the smaller ones. So the one Joel just mentioned was 10%. Uh, this one is also only 10%, but hard inquiries for new credit. Uh, every time you apply for, say, a new credit card or start shopping for a loan, those are going to come in at hard inquiries and those are going to ding your credit a little more. The beautiful thing also, there are great tools on the web for you to use to help you understand your credit better and to know your credit score in 
mere seconds. So we recommend creditscorecard.com, a tool from Discover, Credit Sesame, and Credit Karma. Those are three great websites that won't charge you a dollar, which will help you understand and know your credit score. We haven't actually talked about our credit scores. <laughs> Let's divulge. Do you want to like share? Are you prepared to, to kind of dive into that? Do you sure. know yours off the top of your head? Because you probably do. I actually had to look mine, <laughs> I had to look mine up. <laughs> well, I looked mine up today. I'm not so religious about my credit score that I could probably tell you on a day-by-day basis. But I, I do tend to look at it you know, once every two months. And I looked it up today in preparation for this podcast on creditscorecard.com. And uh, I will tell you after you reveal yours to me. Uh, <laughs> all right. So even with my seven hard inquiries, so don't be like me. Don't apply for seven new credit cards in the in the previous twelve months. But I was I'll sit. I got above eight hundred, man. I was at like dude, like eight oh four or eight oh five, I think. Nicely done. It wasn't like right at eight. It was like a little little bit up there. What you got? Well, keep working hard, and maybe at some oh, point, you punk, you'll get up <laughs> to the amazing level of eight oh nine, like me, sir. <laughs> you got like five points higher than me. Yep. Yeah, and I'm going to hold that over you for, <laughs> for a long time. I'm going to hold it over your head. Here's the thing, though. As much as we kind of like to joke about that, it's not the end-all be-all. Uh, some of the best credit cards out there that are offerings for me that I like to go after, which are the, the, the sweet sign-up bonuses, they are looking for people that have a high credit score. And typically, that range starts at 700. And that's what's so crazy is that you can get an amazing card with a sweet, sweet sign-up bonus, easily 500 bucks. Yeah. If you're you know around 700 and up, you're golden. And real quickly, three credit score numbers you should keep in mind because they are kind of essentially barriers uh, mm-hmm. and good good markers for you. 680, 740, and 770. So 680 kind of like transitions you into like, you know what, this person's pretty trustworthy and good with their credit once you're above that number. 740 is like, man, this person's killing it and they have access to any sort of credit whenever they want. 770 is like you have access to any sort of credit, but also at the most 100% preferred rates. So I've been in the 760s at some times and it's great, but you kind of miss out on some of the slightly better rates if you're going for a home equity line or a mortgage uh-huh. rate. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. We really appreciate it. You guys are the best. And the ladies, be sure to check out howtomoney.com. We'll have show notes up there, including some of the sites we talked about in this episode. And if you like what you hear, let us know and please review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts because it really helps us spread the love with other people. It's kind of the currency online for podcasts. So yeah, it's if, true. You, if you'll like just toss a five star, four star, one star if you hate us up real quick and don't, let people know. Don't give us a one star. <laughs> don't do it, please. <laughs> it hurt our feelings. But seriously, thanks for listening. Uh, we appreciate it. And we'll be back next week. Best friends out. Best friends out. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. 
Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on I'm this. <laughs> people that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in exactly. to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, right. which is different than empathy. Yeah. Right? Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to Brand New on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.